You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Bingham. We are on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor Podcasts, everywhere you get your podcasts, we are there. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please hit that subscribe button, whatever platform you're on. You can check out the description uh, on any platform as well to kind of see the timing of segments, um, or at least the different segments that we're going to hit. Um, going to dive right in today. Uh, obviously, we're talking NBA Finals first and foremost. We are in the thick of one of the best finals we've seen in a long, long time. This was a finals that not many people expected. Certainly didn't have a lot of people expecting it to be so entertaining, so great. I mean, it's Bucks and Suns. It's kind of like blah, you know, in a lot of people's minds. A lot of people that aren't me, anyway. I just love the finals. I love the NBA playoffs. I love sports. <laughs> and so to me, I was expecting it to be a great series. And it is. We're now three games to two advantage Milwaukee. They go to Phoenix. They steal game five. Very surprising. If I'm being honest, um, the Suns got out to a huge lead early. This was Saturday night and they were up by like 16. I think 16 was the biggest lead they had. And it felt like, okay, yeah, they're going to run away with this one, and we'll see if Milwaukee can win game six to force a game seven. Well, then Milwaukee just comes storming back. Um, And obviously, the end of the game got super exciting. You had the game-saving steal by Drew Holiday, a very costly turnover by Devin Booker. In fact, I immediately tweeted just how unfortunate. The Suns, their their fate was sealed by a crucial late-game turnover by Chris Paul in game four. And then they turn around in game five, and the exact same thing happens, only this time it's Devin Booker. So two late-game turnovers by Chris Paul and Devin Booker in back-to-back games in the NBA Finals that have cost the Suns two games in a row. So they were up 2-0. Now they're down 3-2. It's not looking good. you got to think Milwaukee's going to close it out in game six. They're favored by five. That's significant. Um, and my prediction was that the, that the Suns would win in seven, and I am going to say that I am changing that prediction to say that the, well, I mean, obviously that was my prediction. I'm admitting that I'm probably going to have been wrong. I think you'll see Milwaukee win in six. I'd be I'd be very surprised. Actually, I would not be very surprised. I would be moderately surprised if Phoenix was able to win game six. Obviously, they're capable, um, but I think it's unlikely, especially now they've got all this momentum in the wrong direction. And you do feel for Chris Paul. You do feel for Chris Paul. In fact, I don't know if you saw the... I've seen it all over Twitter and Instagram, but... There's the video of Devin Booker and Chris Paul sitting at the podium after game five and a reporter for one of the Phoenix area papers uh, asks a question to Devin Booker and he says, how frustrated are you right now for Chris? And and Chris is sitting next to him and he's just like, does this face like, huh? Like what the, you know? And Booker kind of like slightly glances, you know, to his left to kind of see how Chris might be reacting. He can immediately sense like, you know, that Chris is also feeling like, what the, you know? And so then Booker's just like, next question, you know? Um, But it does feel like this finals has slipped away from Chris Paul, but maybe little questions like that will be just the motivation that the Suns need to be like, no, 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 no. We didn't just lose the series. We lost game five. We did not lose the series. We lost game five. There's still a game six. And if we can win that one, there's a game seven. And guess what? It's right back here in Phoenix. So, We'll see what they can do. Um, some interesting takeaways, though. Obviously, Drew Holiday had the game-saving steal. It was a tremendous steal. This guy is an elite defender. He's one of the absolute greatest defenders in the NBA, um, especially perimeter defenders, right? 
So he gets the game-saving steal on Devin Booker, which, by the way, Booker had like three opportunities to pull up on that play and didn't do it. You could tell there was nerves involved. You could tell there was a little bit of anxiousness, you know. Um, same thing with Chris Paul in Game 4 with his turnover. Just it felt like nerves caused each of these turnovers. Booker had two or three opportunities where he had a step on his man, had a step on Holiday, and he could have pulled up. But instead he pump fakes. So he takes an extra dribble or two more than he should have. Then he pump fakes. Then he pump fakes again. Then he spins. And it's just like he kind of got caught in the lane, you know. And for those that have played basketball, you drive into the lane and you got to kind of make decisions quickly. You're either going to pull up and shoot or you're going to drive and dish. But once you start like pivoting and spinning, like your guys are going to converge on you. And that's exactly what happened. Loses the ball. And then that alley-oop to Giannis to finish it off. Oh my gosh. Was that not so sick? If that had been in Milwaukee, the, I think the stadium would have just imploded from the noise. Um, that was one of the greatest game-saving plays I've seen in NBA Finals history. I mean, LeBron's block comes to mind. Obviously, a lot of Jordan's uh, moments come to mind, like his steal and then the shot to to end the series against the Jazz in 98. There's so many, but that was one where it was like, wow, the fireworks on that. The the, the steal and then the, the epic alley-oop with the and one. Chris Paul shoves Giannis. He still dunks it, which stupid foul by Chris Paul, by the way. Like that was another thing where I was just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's freaking seven foot mega athletic Giannis, 6'11". He's not going to miss this dunk. You're two steps behind. You're a foot shorter. Just let him dunk it. Just let him dunk it. But instead, he he fouls him. Giannis misses the free throw, which was pretty critical. And then he, but but he gets the back tap on the rebound as the rebound's kind of floating around. Giannis gets the back tap to Chris Middleton, who then gets it, and then they're forced to foul him. He misses the first one, but then makes the second. So there was a point where the Bucks missed four straight free throws there at the very end, four in a row, Giannis being three of those. Giannis missed two in a row, then he missed the and one, and then Chris Middleton missed the first of two uh, that eventually did seal it. But that foul by Chris Paul was really dumb. Giannis was not going to miss that dunk, and if he had not fouled him, they get the ball down three, but instead... Um, you know, Giannis misses the end one free throw, but he gets the back tap and then they get another possession. Chris Middleton ends up making one free throw to put him up four. And that was the game. It was too late at that point. So I was surprised to see Chris Paul do that just in the position he was in. Um, being a step behind a guy that's bigger, taller, faster, stronger, more athletic than you. He's going to make that dunk. You're just, you're not gonna. And it probably would have ended up being a flagrant anyway. I mean, he shoved him. So anyway, um, that was that was very very unfortunate. So I had a few notes here, a um, couple things. Well, one one note just that I already just touched on. Giannis has got to improve his foul shooting. He does not want to be the next Shaquille O'Neal. Giannis is. I, I'm rooting for Giannis. I mentioned how I'm rooting for Chris Paul against my better judgment, against everything I've thought the last several years. You know, ten plus years of my existence, Chris Paul's career. Uh, I've not really loved the guy. But he does work so hard, and he does bring so much to the game, and he is so talented, and he has been so close, and he is an upstanding citizen. I have been rooting for Chris Paul. I'd like to see him get his first title. Uh, it's obviously still possible. I think the odds are against him at this point. But I also mentioned how I'm really rooting for Giannis, because Giannis is so likable, kind of the opposite of Chris Paul, so likable, so humble, also talented, dominant, and works his tail off, right? So I'm stoked for Giannis. But this guy has got to improve his foul shooting. 
Uh, I looked it up because he again he missed those three in a row. He's fifty five and a, he's shooting fifty five and a half percent, fifty five point six percent in these playoffs from the foul line. In the regular season, he was sixty eight point five. So that's a that's a thirteen point one percent drop in in his foul shooting efficiency. That's not good. That's nerves. That's pressure. That's fans counting loudly. One, two, three, four. When he's at the line, and it's nerves that are getting to him, and he's missing a, a, quite a few more. Sixty-eight and a half down to fifty-five and a half. That's a big drop. Sixty-eight and a half. You can live with that. Honestly, you can live with that. That's that's high enough that they're not going to implement a hack a shack or a hack a Simmons. Um, those are reserved for Shaquille O'Neal types, Ben Simmons types, where they're like, yeah, this guy's going to shoot thirty percent if we foul him enough. He's going to shoot forty-five percent. But if you're shooting 68, 69%, 70%, which Giannis did the regular season, they're not hacking you. They're not doing hack a Giannis. So, but at 55 and a half, they might. You get to a close game and there's three minutes left. It's like foul him. Just start fouling Giannis. If he's gonna miss, you know, if he's gonna miss half of these, we'll take it. You know, we'll, we'll we can live with giving up one point here and there uh, and going down and trying to trade two, you know, two points for one or Three points for one. You know, we'll give up one, take three. Give up one, take two. You can quickly mount a comeback doing that. So he's got to improve his foul shooting. Um, that big drop in the playoffs worries me a little bit. I do think it has to do with fans counting. I do. It's in his head because, and I don't know if you saw the video, but there was a. It was in uh, Milwaukee. There was a Suns fan counting very loudly as Giannis shot, and there was a, a Bucks fan who holds up a timer in front of his phone. So he's got two phones, essentially. He's filming with one. He's holding up another one to show the, the stop clock or the stopwatch. Right as Giannis touches the ball, like right on cue, right, right on time, hits start on the stopwatch. And you hear the Suns fan counting. He's clearly getting out way ahead of actual time. As you're seeing the stopwatch, you're seeing Giannis. Camera pans over to the Suns fan counting. The Suns fan is at like nine and real, real seconds are at like six. So Giannis is actually not committing um, these violations. He's shooting it right around the nine-second mark, which is fine. But because the fans are counting, and they're counting a little bit quick, and they're starting it right as he touches the ball, they're saying one, which that's not, obviously, you have to wait a second for one to hit, right? So they're getting to like 11, 12 pretty easily while he's still got the ball. In a sense, I do think it's, I do think it's affecting him because now he's trying to shoot at nine in their time, which is probably seven in real time. So I think it's nerves. I think it's pressure. I think it's the fans counting. You've got to see him improve that. Um, ironically, he was a minus seven in the box score. So the, the Bucks win by four. Giannis played 41 minutes and actually played pretty darn well. Um, he had... Uh, 32 points, six assists, nine rebounds, and he was a minus seven in the box score. Drew Holiday, on the other hand, 12 of 20 from the from the field, three of six from three, 13 assists, 27 points, uh, and was a plus 14. And he also had three steals, one of which we mentioned was the game-saving steal, game-saving uh, assist to Giannis. 27 points, 13 assists. And was a plus 14 in the box score with 42 minutes. That's interesting. Drew Holiday plays 42 minutes is a plus 14. Giannis plays 41 minutes is a minus 7. So that is crazy to me because they're on the court for I don't know how many minutes they were on the court together. It had to have been in the 30s though, right? Um, Mid-30s even. I mean, they're 35 minutes or so they're on the court together, which means in just a seven or so, seven, eight, somewhere in that, their minute span where Giannis is 
on the floor and Holiday's not, and then Holiday's on the floor and Giannis isn't, there's a 21-point gap from plus 14 down to minus 7. That's bizarre. That's that's bizarre. Plus minus doesn't always tell the whole story. In fact, it, it never tells the whole story, but it does tell something, and that is significant. So Drew Holiday is the difference maker right now. Um, you know, he's a 17 and 8 guy on the regular season. And so for him to go for 27 and 13 is a big deal. That's 10 points above what he's been averaging these playoffs, 10 points above what he averaged all regular season. It's five assists above what he averaged all regular season. Um, or sorry, five assists above what he averaged all playoffs and six assists or seven assists above what he averaged all regular season because he was a six assists per game guy in the regular season. So Drew Holiday played a fantastic game. Um, I read a thing that said his parents were in the crowd, which apparently is not a normal thing. So happy for him, happy for them. That's very cool. Um, okay, one thing I mentioned or wanted to mention, I've been hearing a lot of people say that the Bucks are shooting too many threes. They're not a three-point shooting team. And I started to wonder, like, well, are they not? I, I didn't, I don't remember thinking the Bucks were a bad three-point shooting team. Like, Brooke Lopez can shoot it. Drew Holiday can shoot it. Um, you know, they picked up P.J. Tucker, who's like that three-point guy from the corner. Uh, Pat Connaughton can shoot it. Like, they have, Chris Middleton, obviously, I didn't even mention him. He can shoot it. And so I was like, I don't feel like they're a bad three-point shooting team, but I was hearing it so much from some of these national guys, uh, Shannon Sharp being the main one. But I was just like, well, I want to look this up and make sure I'm right because I don't remember them being that bad. Well, guess what, guys? The the Bucks were fifth in the league in three-point shooting percentage. Fifth. There were only four teams that shot better from three than the Bucks. So the Suns, by the way, were seventh. So I don't know where that's coming from. The, the Bucks are absolutely a good three-point shooting team. They should continue to shoot threes. Giannis shouldn't necessarily continue to shoot threes. I do think he's capable of making, you know, 40% of those where he's left wide open, you know, the kind where the defense just steps away from him and he can sit and think and focus and shoot. Um, I think he should take those occasionally because it keeps the defense honest in defending him, which allows him to dominate in the paint even more. Uh, so I think he should continue to take a few of those here and there, but he should not be looking for those. He should only look to take them when it's painfully obviously given to him. That's it. But the rest of the team, Connaughton, Middleton, Lopez, those guys should take threes. Like, they can make them. Why would they not take them? Um, again, fifth in the NBA this year at 39% from three. Suns were seventh. Bucks were first in the NBA in points per game. Suns were seventh. Bucks were third in the NBA in point differential. Suns were fourth. The Bucks have been doing it all year long. All year long. First in points per game scored. Third in point differential. Fifth in three-point shooting percentage. This is their series. Uh, the Suns were right there in all of those categories, just behind the Bucks, And the Suns, of course, played in a more difficult conference. Um, and the Suns had a better record. So this is a, even though it's not like Lakers-Nets, you know, at full strength, we don't have Yana, or we don't have AD and LeBron at full strength versus KD and Harden and Kyrie at full strength. This is a great, these are two great teams going up against each other. Uh, Chris Middleton's making a name for himself. Drew Holiday's making a name for himself. Devin Booker's having a coming out party. Uh, Chris Paul has rejuvenated his career in a sense, although these last few games, maybe not so much. Although this last game, he played pretty well. Chris Paul, we got to hand it to him. After a pretty bad performance in game four, he went for 21 and 11 with only one turnover. Um, shot nine of 15, three of three from three. Like, I mean, you can't ask for more than that from Chris Paul. 21 and 11 on a, on a very efficient shooting night with only one turnover. Pretty darn impressive. Um, Booker went off for 40, 40 points, four rebounds, three assists. It just wasn't enough. 
and even DeAndre Ayton, 20 and 10. If you had told me that the that the Suns' big three were going to score 81 points and only have five combined turnovers between them, and Chris Paul was going to shoot well, they were all going to shoot above 50%. All three of them shot above 50%. They shot above 50% from three-point land as well. They were nearly perfect. They were, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 of 11 from the foul line combined. If you had told me those things about Aiton, Paul, and Booker, I would have put a ton of money on the Suns winning, but they lose. And Drew Holiday was the difference, 27-13, and 13, game-saving steal and assist. Uh, I'm excited for Game 6 tomorrow. I will be rooting hard for the Suns because I want to see that Game 7, baby. So I think that you'll see the, the Bucks win, Giannis get Finals MVP, and that will cement him. I did see this mentioned too. Someone said if Giannis wins the championship and his Finals MVP, it'll put him, I think it said second best all-time. Uh, power forward. Obviously, they're saying, you know, in their minds, they're saying whoever put this out there is saying Duncan, Tim Duncan is first, and that this would surpass, this would take him above the Dirk Nowitzkis, the Carl Malones, the Kevin Garnetts. And I started thinking about it, and at first you're like, that's blasphemous. How dare you say he's better than those guys? But then you're like, well, shoot. Actually, he's a two-time MVP. He's a defensive player of the year. He's Definitely more athletic. He's a better scorer than all those guys, except maybe Carl Malone. Um, not a good, not as good of a shooter as Dirk. But is Giannis better than Dirk? I think he. I think he already is. Yeah, I do. I think he probably already is. It's very close. But he's a better defender for sure. Again, two MVPs to just one for Dirk. Defensive Player of the Year for Giannis. Dirk never even sniffed that. Um, and if he gets a title and a Finals MVP, that's all Dirk had was one of each of those. Um, Garnett had one title, no finals MVPs, and uh, Garnett was Defensive Player of the Year. He was MVP, but he couldn't score the way Giannis can score. It's interesting. It's an interesting debate. It's actually one where I was like, that's not as blasphemous as it seems when you first read it. It's actually pretty okay, and if you see Giannis continue to get one or two more seasons under his belt at this level, where he's like a first-team All-NBA, then I think it's a very accurate statement, actually. Um Interesting thing. Okay, sticking with basketball, but moving on a little bit. Uh, I said that Team USA needed to replace Bradley Beal and Kevin Love with Trey Young and Zion Williamson. I still think they probably should have. They did not. They went uh, with JaVale McGee and Keldon Johnson. Now, Keldon Johnson, most of you have never heard of. I barely had. Uh, he is 21 years old. He's on the Spurs. Obviously, Popovich is the head coach of Team USA. So that one starts to make a little bit of sense as you realize this guy was on the practice squad for Team USA already. His head coach is the coach of Team USA already. Um, he's a guy that uh, will just come in and be a hustle, whatever. I was very surprised, but then you start to learn some of these little details that he was on the practice squad. He's already there, been playing with the team, uh, understands the international game a little bit because of it. He's ready to rock and roll. Um, he's not. A, he's an ego-free kind of guy. He's just happy to be there. Starts to make a little bit more sense. Doesn't need the ball a ton. Well, their first scrimmage, the guy goes off 7 of 9 shooting, 15 points, leads the comeback over Spain. Team USA wins 83-76, and he looks like a stud. So that's the guy that replaced Bradley Beal. Looks like a good decision so far. Um, I Obviously, there's better players out there that we could have snagged, but you know he looked good in his first game. And then JaVale McGee, I actually understand this one. JaVale McGee, you know, he had that beef with Shaq forever ago, and I think he was right to stand up to Shaq because Shaq was kind of getting in all of our heads that JaVale McGee sucked, when in reality, JaVale McGee is pretty darn good. He's a fantastic rim protector, defender, rebounder. 
He doesn't need the ball to score, but he's capable of catching alley-oops and throwing it down. Um, he, he's a very respectable NBA player, and I think he's a good fit because Team USA was in desperate need of a big. Now they got one, a true big, and he doesn't need the ball. He's a doesn't need the baller is what I put here. He, and on, a, on a team stacked with mega superstars, this is a guy that just doesn't need the ball. He's like, I don't care. I just want to block shots, get rebounds, and catch alley-oops. Those are my three things. Um, and I think that they need that. So he's a, a true big to kind of help out a little bit against some of these other teams that have bigger players. So that'll be fun to watch. Again, we're still waiting. Um, they go to Tokyo like this weekend or something, and we're still waiting for Devin Booker, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday to finish the NBA Finals before they can even join the team. So we've still got three mega studs that are going to go join. Uh, to kind of help Team USA win gold, which I'm sure they will. I'll be rooting for them, of course, but we'll keep an eye on that. All right, Dame. Damian Lillard has been in all sorts of rumor mill, trade talk, and uh, I mentioned it on the podcast on Friday, and shortly after that, he held a little press conference after Team USA scrimmaging and said that it's not true, but he didn't really say it's not true. He said the words it's not true, but then he also talked about how the Blazers aren't in a position right now to win a title, how he was very discouraged by the fact that they lost in the playoffs to the Nuggets who were without Jamal Murray. So in his mind, he's like, we just lost to a team without their second best player. We are not, and they were at full, the Blazers were at full strength. Nurkic was playing. McCollum was playing. Dame was playing. Mello was playing. They had their guys. And... And they lose to a team who's very shorthanded in the Denver Nuggets without their second best player, their starting point guard, Jamal Murray. So Damon just admits, like, that hurt. Like, that was very, very discouraging to lose to that team uh, who's, you know, we, we had them outmanned and we still lost. So he doesn't see the Blazers as a team that's really on the verge of winning a title, and he's right. He needs to come to grips with that reality. And he also said that he's not sure what his future holds. So he has backed way off the Portland Till I Die talk way off the loyalty talk. He just said, uh, it's not true. I don't, I'm not requesting a trade yet, you know, um, which is kind of what the reports were. The reports were like, expect him to request a trade soon. And I still think you're going to see him get traded. And uh, there's rumors out there now that the Warriors are going to offer up James Wiseman, Andrew Wiggins, the number seven pick in this year's draft, the number 14 pick in this year's draft, and a future first rounder. So, that's five players in exchange for one who is kind of aging. He's not aged yet, but again, he's a very undersized superstar, and those guys do not last deep into their 30s. They just don't. Go find me a guy who is an undersized superstar who lasted till like age 38 or something, 36 even. They don't do it. Dame's 31, I believe now, just turned 31. So I think Dame has three seasons left probably maximum three seasons to dominate at the level he's been dominating. And then I think you'll see 35, 36, those years just start to really drop off. Kind of like we've been seeing from Chris Paul. He's like in moments he can rise up, but for the most part, like you look back at Isaiah Thomas, Allen Iverson, Dwayne Wade, a lot of these guys that relied on uh, athleticism that were undersized, that athleticism fades, your quickness fades, your explosiveness fades, your jumping ability fades and your effectiveness fades. So I think you're going to see Damian Lillard uh, not be what he is within three seasons, and I think that's actually a maximum. I would give him three seasons to remain at like a 
first or second team all NBA caliber level. After that, I think you'll see a quick decline into third team or like not even, probably not even mentioned, possibly not even all-star level, if I'm being honest. Um, And so if you're the Blazers, you may likely lose this guy anyway. He may demand a trade. You've, You've only got three seasons left with him. I don't know that you have the pieces to get someone else to join him to make it work to be a title contender right now. James Wiseman is a very promising young stud. Wiggins is a very proven starter in this league who's athletic and still young and can still be developed. I don't think you're going to get much more out of him than you've seen, but what you've seen is actually pretty good. He's like a bona fide starter. Then you get two, you get three first round draft picks, two of which are early in this year's draft. So if you're looking at some sort of a rebuild, reboot, and you're Portland, this is a pretty darn good offer. Wiseman has potential to be an all-NBA type guy, in my opinion. Um, he, he, he showed absolute tremendous promise, in my opinion. I, th- I thought he was, he was very, very good. Wiggins, like I mentioned, you know, young, athletic, talented, not going to be an all-star, but he's going to start on your team for years to come. Then you get three first-round picks, two of which are this year, one of which is the number seven pick and 14. I mean, those are, those are good picks. That would be interesting because then you'd have Dame, Steph, and Clay on the same team. Oh, my gosh. Talk about the Splash Brothers. That's Splash Brothers on steroids. Those guys, the shooting would be lights out. I think you'd probably see Steph at the point and then Dame at the two and uh, Clay at the three. I think that's probably how they would do it. Um but who knows? Maybe they do Dame at the point and Steph at the two. Actually, I don't know because they both are lights out shooters and scores. Steph obviously is slightly has a slight edge, but I also think Steph's the slightly better distributor and ball handler. Uh, but he's also taller, so I don't know how they'd end up doing it. You know, maybe they'd alternate. But that would be interesting. That would that would put the Warriors right back in like mega contention, um, and it looks like kind of a win win. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Okay, last thing, I wanted to mention this on Friday, and then I I ended the podcast and looked at my notes, and I was like, shoot, somehow I skipped this. Richard Sherman, I'm sure you saw this. Um, it's kind of a little bit outdated, but I want to at least give you my take and my opinion on it. Uh, but Richard Sherman was booked into jail uh, for burglary, domestic violence. He was initially denied bail, eventually did get out without bail. Uh, but there was a video of him trying to break down the front door of his in-laws, He's screaming, he's angry, he's drunk, he's like, he severely damaged the door, kicking it, shouldering it, trying to beat it down, was unsuccessful. Eventually, the cops come, he runs, and a canine has to run after him and detain him. So literally, a dog, like, had to go and bite Richard Sherman and detain him. Like, crazy stuff. This is crazy. Uh, Nobody was hurt, except Richard Sherman by the dog and the front door. And I did see a meme. <laughs> I saw a meme that said that the 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 Jets had uh, just signed the door that was able to stop Richard Sherman. <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious, by the way. Anyway, nobody was hurt, but I want to give my take on it. Richard Sherman is a guy who's very talented, obviously, very intelligent, went to Stanford. But ever since that interview he did with Skip Bayless, where he just he looked so Richard Sherman is so petty. He comes across insanely smug and insanely insecurely arrogant. And there's a difference between arrogance or confidence, rather, and insecure arrogance. Richard Sherman screams insecure arrogance to me. Um, And he's telling Skip Bayless, I'm better at life than you. Like, 
I'm here to crush you. Like he just, he looked so childish, so petty. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. And so something like this doesn't surprise me. I obviously wish Richard Sherman the very, very best. I hope he can overcome this. We all make mistakes. I get it. But this is a guy that's just kind of rubbed me the wrong way for a while. But I also love his trash talk. I love his swagger, you know, um, and his skill on the football field is, is obviously very fun to watch. But was not entirely surprised this type of behavior was, you know, was something that he was capable of just because of how he's acted in interviews. You know, you think back to the uh, um, Des Bryant versus Richard Sherman debate, you know, saying he's the sorriest receiver in the league and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, anyway. So Richard Sherman, he's he's a guy, he's had that hothead in him and it, and it showed. But anyway, that's my take on that. All right, that's all the time I have for today, you guys. Again, whatever platform you're on, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Don't hit it and unsubscribe on accident. Make sure that you are subscribing. I will see you next time. I am out. Peace. Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. You're the